give your air plant a spritz, put the cloudberry jam on the back burner, and discharge the static electricity from your cat, because it's time to talk tall to me. How dare you? Oh, you wanted to do that there? Because it's time to talk tall to me. There, I'll just edit it. I always do that bit, Omen. I was going to request that you do something about a cat, but you you took care of it yourself. Oh, really? Well, you're welcome. (laughs) I'm Omen Said. And I'm Nick McGill. Together, we are Feckless Momes. And we are your hosts for this adventure through the chronological timeline of Jethro Tull. That's right. All the way from their inception in 1968 through present day, as long as that lasts, Nick and I will slog track by track, album by album, chronologically, through every song that Jethro Tull ever recorded. Let's roll through um, some of the temporary replacements. And, and, you know, really any, I feel like any member of, of the band is important, but the lead guitarist for a rock band brings so much of the personality to it. And so they went through a couple of people yeah. before arriving at the guitarist who would then be with them until the very end. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, I just, there is something to, to note though, that like it is, it is, I I would say, kind of remarkable that like this could have been the death knell for Tull. Yeah, it you could know? have been easily. They, they they had to find that guitarist, and they went through three others before they got to their their final choice. But um, they started out with uh, a dude named David O'List. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he had just recently left his band called Nice, and after a week of rehearsal, he just disappeared off the surface of the earth never to be heard from again just he invented ghosting do you (laughs) do you think do you think that um do you think that ian anderson murdered him (laughs) i think no no i you don't mean that he disappeared forever from everyone he just disappeared from the members of of jethro tall no he legit like he stopped calling he stopped showing up they don't know what happened to him Wow. I mean, yeah. I'm sure he, he didn't get hit by a bus or something. He just didn't want to be in Jethro Tull. Apparently not. Yeah. Unless he got kidnapped and they still haven't um they still haven't given the ransom. He, he fled to Argentina and has been living there happily ever since. That's true. That's true. Playing he, the guitar in the streets of Buenos Aires. He ruled Cuba for a couple of years, actually. <laughs> he did. I mean, you know. David Olist. With the name David Olist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, um, okay, so who's next? Uh, Mick Taylor, and uh, he was he was with the band for a, a short amount of time, and uh, he he then got a better gig with a band called the Blues Breakers. This seems to be a common theme. I can you imagine? I mean, I just imagine like Ian Anderson sitting in his flat at night, being like, "The blues, the damn blues." <laughs> no, I th- see. I thought the the um. I thought you were going to comment that there's a theme that people leave Tull to be in a band that they think is going to be a better gig. Oh, right. And we're we're not talking about Blues Breakers. We're barely talking about Bloodwind Pig. We're still right. talking about Tull. Yeah. So these people just have really bad judgment, I guess, 
Although, well, now we move on to the third case, which is which complicates matters slightly. That's that, true. That sort of that breaks our that breaks that theory to a certain extent. Right. Some people may recognize this name off the bat. I I did. Um, I'm I'm assuming you won't. So they put an advertisement in, um, a, I guess a music magazine called Melody Maker. Yeah, this is pre-internet. And uh, magazines are these these paper things. They're not oh. quite books, <laughs> um, and you can't read them digitally. Uh, and a guy named Tony Iommi answered. Um, and he 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 made a good run. It seems like they made an effort, or Tony made the effort. Yeah, and I think they I think they were together for. Uh, enough time that that they they had an effect yeah so it seems so they had a few rehearsals with them they appeared on the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus which I'm guessing was like a television show or something like that must have been yeah Um, and they performed a song for Jeffrey which we we thoroughly enjoyed from the first album yes Um, we did but only Anderson was singing and playing the flute live. Everybody else was dubbed over. They were tracks. That's they were so miming funny. it. Yeah. After that, Iomi felt closer to his old band called Earth, so he went back to them. He said, "I think I think I should I should go back to these guys." Um and he attributes the time working with Tull, probably a couple of months worth, right, as instilling a a, a strong background uh a strong work ethic. Right. For them. And Earth went on to became, Nick, Black Sabbath. Holy gamoles. Black Sabbath. In a way, we have Ian Anderson to thank not only for Jethro Tull, but also for Black Sabbath? Thank you. Thank you, Ian Anderson. Thank for, you, Ian Anderson. For Ozzy Osbourne. Wow. Yeah, He's given us so much. That's he is he is selflessly given to the community. <laughs> He's selflessly demanded that everything be done exactly <laughs> his way for the community. So what happens uh after after Iomi leaves? Well, as they say, fourth time's a charm. Fifth fifth, I guess. Very, very common. And um at the same audition that Iomi was in, the runner up was a nice gentleman by the name of Martin Barr. He had a second audition with Ian Anderson. They hit it off. They messed around on the guitar. And Anderson offered Barr the job. And he has stuck with the band literally ever since. Um... He, besides Ian Anderson, Martin Barr is the longest-serving member of Jethro Tull. He's on every album, every live performance. I mean, he is... One could argue, and we will, you know, this will be... Now Now that Barr, now that Mr. Martin Barr is with us, we can discuss this for the whole rest of the journey. But, um, you know, he arguably has a, a, almost as important a role on the evolution of Jethro Tull as Ian Anderson does. Yeah. It's easy to give um, Ian Anderson a lot of, if not all of the credit, just because he is that, that face, uh, that front man. But yes, there's no way that 
at least in those early years, it was just the Ian Anderson show. Well, no, I mean, Ian Anderson being a frontman, you know, he channels the talent of everyone else through him. Mm-hmm. And and because of that, ends up getting a lot of the credit for it, which is, you know, that's just how the way that's just how the how it works. Yeah, it's how the it's how the cookie crumbles. It's how the bee bumbles. It's how, it's how the bed sheets crumple. Any more? Uh, I thought I had one. It's how the old man stumbles. Oh, that's good. Um, so, but in fact, you know, obviously he is, he, Ian Anderson is like the nuclear warhead sitting on thousands of tons of rocket fuel which is the talent this metaphor i'm like losing grip of this metaphor <laughs> I'm like, i've got my nails digging into the side of this metaphor i know i, I kind of get it ian anderson it. is the is being propelled by several thousand tons of rocket fuel which is the talent of the other band members who are delivering the warhead that is ian anderson yeah. to destroy the cities of our hearts and minds but in a good way He's the payload, but he couldn't get there. Whew. Do you need a break? That's right. Do you want to move? I, I, I don't know. I think I, I think I need to swear off metaphors for the next, like, 24 hours. Yeah, let's just take a moment. Have a simile hangover tomorrow. And this week, we are on song number two off of side B, or song number seven, from their second album, Stand Up, known as Fat Man. Woo! Don't want to be a fat man. Ding-a-ding-a-ding. Okay. Literally every time that I listen to that song, I feel as though I have just had an espresso. It is so energizing and delightful and demitasse-sized as well. Ironically, I just, I I know it's it's the um it's not the shortest track on this album, but it is the second shortest track, which is amusing. Um, no, I just I love this song, Nick. It's silly, and it's bright, and there's no there's no arc. It's one pace, one burst of energy all the way through. There's a little break for an awesome little bongo solo. So cool. And then it just pushes through that, and it's, yeah, it's, it is just fun. It's just goofy fun. And it has those, you know, I love, I love those, um, upbeat kind of mandolin bursts. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's where it's like, it's like between the verses, dum da da dum down, down. You know what I mean? It's sort of a, it's sort of a syncopated. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just the kind of a little accent. Yeah, yeah, it's so much fun. Oh my gosh, can we talk about the mandolin? 
this is noted as one of the first real strong presences of mandolin in rock music at the time. This is a, a piece of history right here. I mean, this track, as as ridiculous as it is, is is a piece of history. It's awesome. It's definitely the first Jethro Tull track that has mandolin on it at all, as far as I know. I'm trying to think. We might have heard it, like, in the background in one of the earlier ones, but I'm not sure. Right, maybe. But at least pulled this far forward, this is definitely the first. Yeah, this is this is the voice of the song. It's incredible. And it's, and it's so... It's so delightful. Also, Clive Bunker is going to another realm of existence with the drumming. There's no drum kit on this song. It took me a second to, to realize that. Yeah. He's just going bananas. It's all hand drumming. Yep. Bananas on the bongos. Which I think is a testament to his skill, really. Because I, I think that's quite a different... I'm by no stretch of the imagination a drummer because I have no rhythm but i think that it's quite a different technique and and skill to play a hand drum than it is to play with the with the sticks of drumming <laughs> Le baguette. sticks of drumming yes i wonder if he's also doing the jingle bells in there like maybe if it's on um if it's on a foot pedal or something oh the tamb is it a tamb i think it's just straight up jingle bells i'm pretty sure it's a tambourine is it I have my doubts. I'll have to listen to it again. We will have to build a time machine and go back and see. That's the only way that we can figure it out. That's that's right. It could be on a foot pedal. Yeah, I wonder if he's doing it all live. Or or alternate theory. Here, you ready for this? I, I would love to be ready for this. I don't think that that's possible. I'm sorry. Do you know who doesn't play on this track? Glenn Cornick? Bass. Correct. Yeah. There's no bass going on in there. Glenn Cornick bassist is not on this. I wonder if he might be jamming out on that tambourine. It's possible. Do we do we have any direct credits for this one? It says that he's not listed on this track. But it, that could be that he's not listed as a bassist. Sure. Or it could mean that he went for a waz and they recorded it while he was gone. <laughs> Instantly. And maybe he's the fat man. Maybe it's, a, it's just a big inside joke. Maybe. <laughs> Could be. They recorded Fat Man on the 21st of April, 1969, the same day as Back to the Family. And they released Fat Man with Beret as a single in Europe in September of 1969. I'm guessing Fat Man was the B-side? I would imagine, yeah. Yeah, it would have been one of those one of those small records, right, where it's like one track per side. Yeah, just I think they were 3 inches at that point, the little ones. Yep, yep, I know. That's all you need. Um <laughs> Even Martin's guitar, which takes the back back burner on this is really good. It's really solid. It's just steady and and it I think it ultimately it takes the place of the bass because it doesn't kind of overpower anything and it just it's it adds something of a through line. Right. But it's really good. You know, I was struggling to hear the guitar. I I almost felt like there were maybe multiple mandolins jamming out. Hmm. I don't know. I think the 
I think the guitar is most noticeable um, right in the early beginning. And if you can pick it up, you can maybe carry that through in oh, your you're ear. Right. But I it's think you're right. very quickly, it gets overpowered and you lose it much more than just beyond rhythm. And let's not forget that awesome squeaker horn solo. The what? Funk, 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 funk. Oh, I was trying to figure out what that was. I thought that was like a I thought that was like a violin. No, it's a um it's like a bicycle horn. That is so silly. It's the little the little horn with the the black thing, the black squeezy yeah, bit yeah, that yeah, they yeah. have seals hit with their nose. Yeah, it's one of those. Oh, oh, one of those. Yes. Oh, now I know one what you're of talking those. About. Now that you put it, seal now horn. Now you put it in uh, marine mammal context. Now I know what you mean. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and there's a little flute. There's a little flute in there at the end. How little is it? It's not a piccolo. Okay. Did you hear the one about the orchestra musician who came into the doctor? And the doctor was like, well, what can I do for you? And he was like, doctor, doctor, I, uh, I've had a terrible accident. I was playing in the orchestra and I inhaled too quickly between measures and I, I swallowed my piccolo. What can I do? And the doctor says, well, just be thankful you don't play the grand piano. <laughs> you you couldn't even like let the beat sink in. You <laughs> The shame on your face. It's... So because then he it, I would that's a bigger instrument you see oh the grand piano oh. yeah yeah good times it's not a good joke <laughs> fact do you want me to give it to you again maybe it'll be funnier this time no I I I'm pretty confident it won't be <laughs> okay how about this one what's the difference between a violin and a viola I don't know. A viola burns longer. <laughs> do you not do you not like them? There's the instruments? What the viola? Is are you are, are you supposed to it, it implies that you do not like the, the viola. No. Well, generally people don't like the viola, the viola, I believe. Why? Because it's weird. I think that's instrumentist. Yes. Speaking of being ist, <laughs> let's talk about the content Please. of this song that I I think we've we've skirted around, we've circumnavigated a little bit. Oh no. It would take us too long. <laughs> it's been fun chewing the fat with you uh about the instrument jokes, but I think that we should talk about about this about these lyrics. Nick, what is um what is going on here? What is the hidden meaning of this statement that Ian Anderson is making? Are you setting me up? Is there a hidden meaning? Have I not read deeply enough to find a hidden meaning here? I think that there is no hidden meaning. I think that this <laughs> I think that this is one of the most face value pieces of songwriting <laughs> that I've probably ever heard. <laughs> I think that Ian Anderson doesn't want to be a fat man. <laughs> and uh, and it's interesting, you know, I, I think that it's really interesting, like, talking about this song in today's context, because clearly you couldn't really get away with releasing a song like this in 2019. 
right? It would be in pretty poor taste, right? I'm trying to think of the closest, most recent simile to this. The only thing that comes to my mind is, do you know the artist Mika? Yeah, I do know Mika. He's like super fun. I think he grew up in France, but he's like a super fun pop artist. I don't know what he's released recently, but 10 years back or so, which is, I guess, not that recently, he released a song called Big Girls, You Are Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Coke and a pizza, please. Coke, I'm on my knees screaming, Big Girls, You Are Beautiful. And it's... Oh. Did you just wake up your, uh, your phone to, to play that? My iPad just tried to play that. So the only reason that that comes to mind is because it's like it's about bigger. The song is about bigger people, but it's totally from a celebratory beauty standpoint, like everyone, everyone is beautiful. And 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 it's very it's very, very uplifting. Yeah, this song is not that (laughs) big girl. You are beautiful is to me our generation's equivalent of fat bottom girls. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what it is. Yeah. This, yeah, I can't, and that was, we were in college when Mika came out, but yeah, I can't, I can't, I mean, I'm not really abreast on modern popular music, so I can't really speak to it very well, but I just can't see anything like this. I think that the only reason that Ian Anderson can possibly get away with this is the fact that it's 1969. Mm Mm-hmm. It's England, which has a different relationship to this kind of personal insult, if you will, mm-hmm. than we do in the States. And because the song is just so charming. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. It's, it sounds like a joke. Exactly. And I think it is. I think it's, I think it's, it's not malicious at the end of the day. Yeah. It's definitely, I feel like it's quite tongue in cheek. Mm hmm. And it almost feels like he's making fun of somebody maybe that he knows. Oh, possibly. Yeah. Or I, I almost wonder if he's being self-referential. You know, I wonder, is it possible that at this point in his life, maybe he was starting to gain a little weight and he was talking about himself and like desiring to stay trim? Possibly, I suppose. Yeah, it's just, it's him. It's him right on that cusp and seeing what he was and what he could be on both sides of the the line essentially right maybe i'm maybe i'm projecting maybe that's uh <laughs> maybe this is another instance of omen projecting his experience onto uh the music of jethro Zell. you know i i think i have the closest thing the closest comparison okay and it's those r kelly songs where he basically says yes i'm doing things with a 14 year old girl Oh God! Yeah, gross. I don't. I don't think that that is similar. <laughs> I mean, it's the closest in terms of mm, just just really questionable content. I feel like that's so much worse, though, in any time period. Oh no, it's worse. Good grief! <laughs> I'm certainly not saying because Fat Man is okay in 1969. I'm a pedophile in 2019 is okay. Yikes. Yeah. No, no. I I know I I think I think I see the comparison that you're making. <laughs> Oof. It's the song that you hear and you're like, is this real? Is this is someone someone not only did they make this, but it was produced and released? Right. 
But also, if you listen to them back to back, R. Kelly is clearly the grosser, more despicable human being. Oh, good grief. Not even the same. <laughs> no. Not even the same uh, realm, thank goodness. No. This song is a is a real chestnut. It's hard to it's hard to talk about. It is. I mean, it's because it's so short. There's nothing really in depth to analyze in terms of the lyrics. Right. And we already talked about how amazing the instrumentation is. I, I know. <laughs> you know. See the the okay the one thing I want to I want to bring up yeah. about the lyrics. Yes. The last little stanza. I was just looking at that. Yeah. I've seen the other side of being thin. Roll us both down a mountain, and I'm sure the fat man would win. That's like, that feels even more of a jab to me. That doesn't feel like, oh, well, here's one positive thing. It feels like it's really cutting. It's a bit harsh. Yeah, it's a bit harsh. I was going to try to play the, oh, at least he's saying something nice, (laughs) but I don't think we can quite justify that. Yeah, and I think that was the attempt kind of... I think it's plausible deniability is what it is. I think it honestly is a joke. And I think that I think that at this time, this kind of joke was accepted socially. Oh, sure. Especially in England. You know, it's so it's funny. I was just talking the other day. This is this is a bit of a segue or a bit of a a bit of a departure. But I think it's I think it's interesting because this is something that's 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 been on my mind recently. I just had a rehearsal yesterday for a touring show that I'm going to be doing in a couple of weeks, which was and the script was written by this a Scottish fellow and one of the characters in the script is a nobleman and the way the script this was written in the last 10 years last five years probably and the and the script refers to this person in this scene as the fat nobleman and then and it's like, and it's Robin Hood. So this is the person that Robin Hood is reading, is is robbing. So you don't want, you know, you're not supposed to like this person. Sure. And they're they're written to be despicable in terms of their actions. But like, it's a lot. Like, it's literally like the fat nobleman was wearing a a cap on his fat head. And like, Robin took the fat purse off the fat nobleman's belt. And it's just like, it's so much. And it's like. And this is a kid's show, I take it? Yeah, it's a theater for young audiences show that was like that was meant to tour in the United States. And when we first started working on it, we were like, we have to cut out some of this language because it's not it doesn't play well in America. But maybe I think it might be okay. Like, I think that I think that there might be a a cultural difference between England and the United States where talking about that kind of thing in England might be more socially acceptable on some level than it is here. I, I don't know. Right, but how socially acceptable is it if the villain is still being referenced as fat? Right. Yes, you can still use it as a pejorative. I think in the, so in that context, it's it's really, I think part of it is that it's a metaphor for wealth. Sure, sure. He's he's well fed. Literally, yes. Yeah. Um, and he's like eating a duck leg. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. When you stop to think about it, in 1969, making fat jokes is really nothing compared to the crap that was going on in terms of using people as butts of jokes. Oh, yeah. And diminishing them for 
any number of things. Absolutely. I mean, this was this was like the height of the civil rights movement in America. Yeah. So a charming mandolin song about an overweight <laughs> English person, I think, was not going to be super on people's social justice radars. Yeah. But it's interesting. It's an interesting kind of watermark to see how far we've come that you and I can't even comfortably have a discussion about the lyrics of this song today. Yeah. And I think that's a I think that's a positive change. I agree. I think we are both on the on the more sensitive side too in terms of acknowledging and recognizing this as problematic, you know. Oh, yeah. I thought you'd been I thought for a minute you'd been um talking to my therapist. No. No, I am your therapist. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot to pay you this month, didn't I? That's, yeah, I, w- I was waiting for that check. Rollers roll down a mountain and I'm sure the fat man would win. Oh, man. Nick. If this song were a healthy food, oh, dear God. what would it be? Whew. It would be, it would be a well-structured, oh, what's that grain? Millet. No, the other one. <laughs> um, quinoa? No. Oh, it would be a well-structured, spelt crust, vegan, lemon explosion. Define well-structured. I mean, there would be something crunchy in it. <laughs> Wouldn't, by virtue of having a spelt crust, make it crunchy? it be crunchy yeah yeah it would have but it would be there would be additional crunch in there somewhere it would be additionally crunchy it would be surprisingly crunchy crispy tell me what's in it lemon definitely like a lemon curd like a lemon curd but made with some kind of a a coconut cream milk substitute okay because lemon curd's got a butt ton of sugar i think don't don't say but in this context, Nick. I think that's I think that's inappropriate. Uh, lemon curd has a barrel full of sugar in it, I believe. Well, you know, it's only so healthy. But it's, <laughs> it's delicious, and it's zingy. My point is is that it's zingy and crunchy, like this song. Okay, that I can approve. Sure. I forgot to mention they are um they're mini tarts. Okay, with a little meringue on top, maybe. Ooh, yeah. daddy. <laughs> I'll be your mini tart. Speak British Bake Off to me. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. I think that I think that does it. So Omen. Nick. Next week we have track number eight for our mp3 listeners for our digital listeners yeah it is one of my favorites yeah it's the third of my four favorites on this album that's half the album but that's cool i mean you know it's a third close it is we used to know that's right we used to know we used to know I'm not surprised to hear that you that that's one of your favorites. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful song. Well, we will discuss the merits of it next week. Until then, while you wait for We Used to Know, be a helpful man. 
<laughs> and rate us, review us, subscribe, tell your friends, give us five stars, etc. And if they don't, um, push them down a mountain and see which one wins. See who wins. That's right. There you go. And hopefully they land on their phones to give us five stars. Until then, I'm Nick McGill. I'm Omen Sade. We are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. Talk Tall to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Moms audio network.